Hello and welcome to the Use Because podcast. Deeper learning from the best business minds to have ever put pen to paper. Getting More by Stuart Diamond is the topic of this week's podcast. This book is all about negotiation. It, the subtitle of the book or the, the tagline, if you like, on the book is you're always negotiating, get what you want every day. And sometimes, and I've, I've discussed other books on negotiation, uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Foss and uh, Getting to Yes uh, by was it Roger Fry, I believe. Um, and those books cover negotiation as well. But what's really interesting and one of the, the key concepts, I suppose, behind Use Because is to ensure that we're looking at whatever the topic is from lots of different points of view. The way I always approach any book I read is to, I decide that that book is just gospel. It's just, it's irrefutable fact. And then I let it kind of marinate, marinate in my head for a little while and I decide, well, is that actually true? Do, do, do those things actually resonate with me? Same with this book. You can, you can get dive straight into this book and you can see that there is lots of overlap with uh, Never Split the Difference. Uh, that's specifically the one I was thinking about when I was reading this book. But there's subtle differences as well. Say, for example, in Never Split the Difference, Chris Foss talks about uh, tactical empathy. So to understand the other person's point of view and to use emotion as part of your uh, your arsenal of weapons, I suppose, if, if you want to call it that, or, or you know, tool in your toolkit. In this book, he talks about being dispassionate, to not use emotion or to not let emotion get the better of you in a negotiation, or if somebody's trying to make you emotional, to make sure that you are not uh, rising to the bait. Subtle differences there about how to use how to use emotion uh, in a negotiation. And like I said, some things do overlap, but even when these things do overlap from, from two or three or four different books on a particular topic, there's always like a, a slightly different lens that they're understanding the strategy through. So that's what we're going to look at in this book is we're going to talk about what Stuart Diamond covers in Getting More. And then if uh, if we if it makes sense, we'll compare and contrast to, uh, to Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference, uh, as we go. So the first thing that he talks about in getting more is the the six tools of of negotiation then he talks about 12 strategies now this is this is one of the reasons why uh usebecause.com exists is that you know I'll, I'll tell you what these six tools are and i'll tell you what the 12 strategies are but as soon as i've told you what those 18 things are right the six tools and 12 strategies you're going to forget them and if you can't remember them then how are you ever going to put them into practice that's the whole point of the toolkit that, that accompanies this, this episode. We've taken uh, the key concepts, the key takeaways from these books and put them into a toolkit where you can go and deliberately practice in the real world and record your feedback and then decide what works and what doesn't work. So if you wanted to look at Never Split the Difference, there is a toolkit to go along with that. You can see what works for you in a negotiation and what doesn't. Then look at getting more and see what works for you and what doesn't. Uh, keep what you like, discard the rest. That's what I always say. So anyway, the toolkits are available in usebecause.com. The six tools are, first of all, I, I gave the first already, be dispassionate, right? Um, and straight off the mark there, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I 100% agree with that, uh, to be dispassionate. I, I think emotion is a factor of every negotiation, no, no matter how much you don't want it to be. Um, 
But I guess what he really means by be, by being dispassionate is to not let emotions get the better of you. Um, to make sure that you are, um, like I said earlier, like not rising to debate. But to say to be dispassionate, it's there's something about the phrasing of like I just don't think it's possible. I don't think it's um it's an intelligent thing to do to be dispassionate. I think emotion it's like saying don't use language in in a negotiation i mean that that's one of the things you have to do you have to f verbally communicate to people and you're going to do that with emotion we are emotional beings and trying to ignore that is is ridiculous i think but uh, anyway, that's his first tool to be dispassionate second one is to prepare cannot argue with that one um the negotiation is the culmination of your preparation really um, is what i would say there's no point going into a negotiation without knowing what you have what you want uh, the the weight that you've given to different things, different uh, different parts of what you hold, like the, the weight you give to what you're willing to give away, basically. So if you went in and you want to get a raise from your boss or you want to close a deal or whatever the thing is, what are you willing to give? Um, what are you not willing to give? What are you? Uh, what's your ultimate goal? That kind of thing. So um, number two is prepare. Definitely agree with that. Three, we've all done this, if you've ever been in a sales conversation, three is to find the decision maker. <laughs> this has happened, anyone who's who thinks they're this, like, you know, shit hot at, at negotiating or, or sales, I think it's all about, you know, chess moves on a chessboard. But sometimes you find if you're inexperienced that you are, you're not playing chess against the right person, uh, find the decision maker. The way you find the decision maker is you ask the person you're talking to, are, are you are you going to be able to make a decision on this? And you might have to, uh, that person might be the gatekeeper that you might need to actually get through first, which is fine, but you should know what you are, uh, that you might have to say it all again to somebody else. Or you may have to make sure you implant enough ideas in the first person that it actually translate then, translates then to the second person or the third person or whoever many people up the chain there are that need to, um, before, before you get to a decision maker. Number four then is focus on your goals. Focus on your goals is, uh, this is, this is kind of like ties into what I said a minute ago about, you know, what are you willing to give up? It's like, it's actually, it's not unlike a game of chess. The, the, the goal in the game of chess is to capture the other person's king. And that might mean giving up six of your pawns and your queen, right? Like your goal is to get to the king. Your goal is not to hold on to your queen. So if it's strategic, what are you willing to give up? Uh, as you go, and the way you, the way you know what you're willing to give up is is to focus on what do I actually want out of this interaction. Number five, then, this is a common thread through every single book that I have done a podcast on, and every single book I've ever read. And these kind of businessy books are the best business books. Number five is to make human contact, and this is why I believe that the first tool that he that he talks about isn't necessarily wrong. It's just I don't like the way he phrases it. The first rule being be dispassionate. I don't think you can be dispassionate and make human contact at the same time. I think you make human contact through expressing emotions and understanding other people's emotions as well, uh, which is what empathy is, and that's what Chris Voss talks about with tactical empathy, is to understand their 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 point of view, their frame of reference, and what their goals are and what their emotional state is. At, at as many points along the negotiation as you can. So make human contact is very, very important. It's, um, well, actually, I was, was going to, I was going to hold, I was going to tell you something towards the end, but it's just, it's come into my head now. So I'll think about, I'll, 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 I'll tell you about it now. There was a, um, a team of, 
I wish I knew the story better, but there was a team of um, nuclear scientists, I think, back in the day, back when nuclear weapons were becoming a, a, a big problem. And the UN or whoever it was, they wanted to put in place a, a council that would decide on what the rules were for nuclear weapons, who could have what, where they could be pointed, you know, how many they could have, all those kinds of things. And the guy who was put in charge of it, uh, he spent the first two weeks not talking about any of that stuff at all, but did nothing but team bonding, right? Team team building and team bonding exercises. This was back like in, I don't know, decades ago. And it got to a point where the other scientists were at breaking point where they thought this is an absolute waste of time. And it turned out that the guy who'd organized all of this bonding and, and team building was right because he knew that what they, the, the type of negotiations that they were going to enter into, the amount of, uh, intelligence in the room which can sometimes lead to big egos he knew that if there was conflict and these guys were not bonded together then that conflict could end in uh, people leaving the room and, and talks falling apart so he was completely right to make sure that the people were bonded on a human level first of all so that because he could foresee that there would definitely be issues this is such a you know talk about who can have what what which countries can have which nuclear weapons is such a huge thing that there was definitely going to be conflict or disagreements. And if they weren't bonded together, then it was going to be um, a big issue. And that that's something to think about with every team that you're leading, every negotiation you enter into, every sales conversation, uh, every time you're interacting with your own manager or your direct reports, whoever, whoever it is, make human contact. The sixth rule then, or the sixth tool, I should say, is acknowledge the other party's power and position and really what that means is to understand what they have to offer you um what they're likely to give up what their probable goals are what their emotional state is uh, who do they have to answer to um and again it ties into i think i said this in the last podcast as well it ties into the the chimp paradox which is another one of our most not the most recent one i think before this one i think um one of the things about the chimp paradox is or that uh, Professor Steve Peters talks about in the chimp paradox is that sometimes you need to remind yourself that other people think differently than you, that other people express themselves differently than you do. And you, when when you under, when you kind of bring your your thought to that idea, it's it's really obvious. Like when when you're really stressed out, you might be very very quiet, whereas when somebody else is really stressed out, they might um, snap at everybody who says anything to them. There's different reactions to different situations. And it kind of is ties into the the sixth tool here. Acknowledge the other party's power and position. And their position, part of their position, is their emotional state as well. And, and the fact that they have a, a different frame of reference, a different way of, of expressing themselves than you will. Uh, and you have to kind of understand them to be a blank canvas that, um, that, that you can get to know, basically, which is... Um, ties into number five making human contact so then i've got uh 12 strategies that he talks about and these 12 strategies uh again they kind of make up the the part of the the negotiation that's the 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 interaction with the other the other party right so number one goals are paramount and what that means is is that all that matters is getting to the person's king, right? Now, that's not to make out like a negotiation is about a win-lose situation or, um, you know, if, if I win, they lose or vice versa. 
but goals are paramount. In a game of chess, the goal is get the other person's king. In your negotiation, it could be, you know, securing a raise. It could be um, uh, getting somebody to re-up their, their, their membership to your platform. Whatever the thing is, the goal is what you focus on. Your goals and their goals. And I've talked about this previously. I think when I talked about the, the book Getting to Yes, that a negotiation isn't a, a win-lose. It isn't a zero-sum game. It has to be two Supreme Court judges standing shoulder to shoulder, sitting shoulder to shoulder, looking at a case. Right? How do we solve this so that everybody's happy? Or how do we solve this to a, to a point where it, uh, our conclusion makes sense for both parties or for all parties involved? So the goals are paramount. Focus on your goals. Number two, then, it's about them. Uh, what is the picture in their head? I've touched on this already. They have a different frame of reference. They have a different uh, a, a different approach to negotiation than you do because they're a different person, right? They're coming from, they're, they might have way less time. They might only be half interested. They might have um, been told to go and negotiate this without really knowing anything about what they're talking about. They might know 10 times more than you do. They have a different frame of reference and it's about them. It's about the picture in their head, about, about you understanding the picture in their head. And if they know how to negotiate, they'll be doing the exact same thing. They'll be thinking about the picture in your head. And once once those two pictures are aligned, once everybody knows what the goals are, then, and again, it, come, it comes back to, um, I think it's getting to yes as well, where they talk about positions and interests. That a position somebody takes up can sometimes be arbitrary. It can be uh, just, uh, I want this, you want that, let's bang heads until somebody gives up. The positions are not as important as the interests behind the positions. Why is that the position? My car breaks down and, and now I can't get to work, so I have to get my car fixed immediately. Well, I don't have to. My goal is not getting my car fixed immediately. My goal is to get to work. And what you can do is you can be creative about the solutions. Well, I could get a taxi, I could walk, I could cycle, I could take the day off, I could uh, work from home. There's loads of things I could do. Right? My goal is not to get my car fixed, my goal is to get to work. But sometimes think, oh no, my car broke down, I have to get it fixed so I can get to work. That's not, that's your focus on the wrong goal. The goal is to get to work, not to get the car fixed. Anyway, uh, so that's number, number two. Um, it's about them. Uh, what is the picture in their head? Number three is to make emotional payments. We'll come back to that later on in this episode, but to make emotional payments essentially means think about uh, when somebody is, is, well, everybody is irrational, right? We, we, we make purchasing decisions emotionally and then we, we, uh, we, we retrofit logic onto it afterwards, right? And if, in your, if you're in a negotiation and there is uh, the other party is being irrational and highly emotional. They're not going to listen. If people won't listen, they're not going to be uh, persuadable. Right? So if they're not persuadable, nobody wins. So what it means to make an emotional payment is to offer apologies, to, um, to offer empathy. It's like if you're working in customer service and a customer rings up or sends an email and they're absolutely irate about some issue that's gone wrong. The worst thing you can do is tell somebody to calm down, right? That's what you have to do is acknowledge their their anger, acknowledge the uh, the urgency of their issue. And once you've done that, what you've ultimately done is made an emotional payment. So that's one of the uh, the strategies for uh, for negotiation, according to Stuart Diamond. Number four, every situation is different. 
everyone knows this. Every situation is different. There is uh, there there can be a pitfall where somebody has negotiated a hundred times and won ninety nine out of a hundred, even a hundred out of a hundred, and they approach the hundred and first negotiation thinking I've done this a hundred times and know exactly what I'm doing. Every situation is different. Everyone has a different frame of reference. Everyone is coming in hungover, tired, full of energy, had coffee, didn't have coffee, uh, stressed uh, with work-related stuff, is stressed with home-related stuff. Everyone's different. Everyone has a different situation that they're bringing to the table. So you have to understand that there is a, a blank canvas that you need to understand what that picture is on that blank canvas, ultimately. Next one then, incremental is best, number five. And that's a, a great one as well. This is this ties into uh, an episode we did on on Robert Cialdini's book, Influence, uh, The Psychology of Persuasion. One of our most popular episodes, I believe, if I um, if I can remember the uh, the stats. But incremental is best. And one of the one of the things in influence he talks about, and this that book is about is about persuasion. He talks about commitment and consistency, that people will want to do we want to go along with what they did previously. And that's ties into what they're talking about here. Incremental is best. If you can get somebody to agree to the first thing, they're more likely to agree to the next thing that is a, as a logical step on from that first thing. And then to the next thing and the next thing. So incremental is best. If you ask for a massive discount straight off, you probably won't get it. But if you start with a small discount and then start adding in other little bits of discounts and then it all adds up into the ultimate discount that you're looking for, that's probably more likely to work than uh, just asking for a huge discount or asking for um, a huge number of an increase in your salary or whatever the thing is. Sixth, then, is trade things you value unequally. And he tells a story in the book about one of his students who was looking to close a multi-million dollar deal. And as far as he was concerned, the deal was done, everything was uh, on the over the line, and they were just looking to, um, to get the contract signed. But the customer kept hesitating and humming and hawing and, you know, hmm. And eventually, after a little bit of probing and, and some intelligent questions, the sales guy realized that uh, he had access to, uh, to basketball tickets for some particular final that the customer really, really wanted. And the customer didn't want to come straight out and ask for them. He was kind of waiting for the guy to offer. And for the sales guy to get these tickets cost him next to nothing but by trading that by offering those tickets those um floor 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 seats what they call it in basketball where you're right beside the floor um that was uh that was an item for him that was like you know costing like i said next to nothing but for the customer that was the, the deal breaker that's what he really wanted so think about the items that you have that are of unequal value something that might not mean that much to you but could mean an awful lot to the uh, to the customer or to the to the person that you're negotiating with. It could be something as simple as an introduction. It could be um, uh, giving them some kudos in a public arena, saying, "You know, check out this guy; he's awesome." That kind of thing. Right? Things of unequal value. Something that might not actually cost you any money. Um, it could be something that the other person really desires, and that's because we're all emotional beings and we all want what we want. Uh, seven is find their standards. Find their standards means. Are they ethically minded? Are they approaching this negotiation the same way you are, with uh, longevity in mind, in in uh, with the concept of building a relationship, or are they sneaky? 
once you find their standards, then you can you can use that to your advantage ultimately. And um, if they are being sneaky, number eight, be transparent and constructive, not manip- manipulative. That is essentially ties into number seven. Uh, no matter what they do, you stick to your moral compass. And you try and drag them up to your standard rather than you going down to their standard because it just turns into, I want this, you want you want that, let's butt heads until one of us gives in. You have to remain transparent and constructive. Transparent doesn't mean you lay all your cards on the table. This is still a game we're playing. This is still a game of chess where you're going to make moves and they'll make moves. But at least be honest that you're playing chess. right? That That's what I would say with, with the negotiation. There's, you don't just give up. You don't just show all your cards. Uh but you, you don't be afraid to it's like it's like when you're going for a job interview and they say what are your salary expectations and you go well i'll i'll consider the the entire package um you know it's more it's it's more than just a a flat number there's you know i want to be a job that interests me like i've said that before many times when when i've gone for job interviews and they ask what your salary expectation is and i don't answer because to me that's the beginning of the negotiation um and and I've I've had HR people and you know managers and stuff come back and say yeah but if you had to pick a number, what would it be? And I'd say well are you offering me the job? And I kind of smile when I'm saying to God like this is this is a negotiation. I'm not I'm not gonna lowball myself here. You tell me what's what what the job offers and uh, we'll take it from there. So and, and again other times it might make perfect sense to say what your number is. Go this is what I need to earn uh, to keep the lights on at home. So that's what you need to pay me. Either you can pay me that or you can't. Um, but that's what, like, once you're kind of doing all that, like from a, from a human point of view and, and keeping, um, uh, keeping a smile on your face, people know they're in the, in the negotiation. So, um, be transparent and constructive, but not being, but not manipulative. Number nine then is always communicate, state the obvious frame division. There's a great saying in uh, NLP and neuro linguistic program programming that you cannot not communicate. And really what that means is that you, uh, if I ask you a question, even if you decide not to answer the question, you not answering the question probably tells me something. So when it comes to negotiation, you're all the time communicating. But So you have a chance to, uh, to ensure that what you're communicating is constructive and uh, uh, frames your vision. That's ultimately what a negotiation is trying to, to get to, to, for you to understand their picture for them to understand your picture. So he says as well to state the obvious. No harm recapping things. It's like teaching. I was a teacher for many, many years. One of the best things you can do in teaching is recaps and reiteration and repetition. Just keep saying it over and over again, lots of different ways. Same thing with a negotiation or a sales conversation. It's the same thing, really. Uh, state the obvious. Right? Recap. Okay, so what you're saying is, what I'm hearing from you is, those kinds of things... Um, Make sure that you're always communicating in the in the right way. Ten, then find the real problem and make it an opportunity. This ties into what they talk about in getting to yes. This is the position versus the interest. Uh, somebody might tell you what the problem is, and that might be a position that they take up. But the real problem is possibly the interest that's behind that. Why have they chosen that? Like why have they said that we can't go above this number? We can't sign a contract for more than six months. And why is that? Um, so. Like let's let, let let's expand that example. You you're trying to get a you're trying to close a sales deal, and they say you want them to sign a twelve month contract. They say we can only sign six months. And now you've both taken a position. You want twelve, they want six. 
get in behind that. Why only six months? What happens after? What happens in the seventh month? And it could be that, well, look, we don't know what our budget is for the, for the six months after. I think, okay, well, what about if we were to talk again in four months? Would that make sense? And, then, and now you're kind of getting into the into the uh, the interests behind the position. You're, you're, you're building a, a relationship and making an emotional connection with somebody, making a human connection with somebody. So find the real problem and make it an opportunity. Uh, embrace differences. A good negotiator loves differences. Uh, and a difference could be, you know, a difference on the price that somebody's willing to pay or that you're willing to pay. Ask more questions and find out why there is such a difference. And the twelfth one then, twelfth uh, strategy is to prepare. Um, the real strength of a negotiation comes in preparation. Towards the end of this episode, I'm going to talk about the, the four quadrants that he, that he talks about when it comes to putting all this into a strategy, which is a good way to make sure you have all your bases covered as well. And that's actually in the... Um, uh, the interactive summary that we have, I don't know, I might not mention as it starts. So every toolkit includes an interactive summary of a book, a one-page mind map, essentially, that is hyperlinked to the action log. Now, I've said a lot of uh, jargon words there, but let me just explain that for a second. Every episode that we do of this podcast has a, a toolkit. In that toolkit is an interactive summary. And that interactive summary is all the key takeaways from the book on one page. Each key takeaway is hyperlinked then to the second part of your toolkit, which is the action lock. Let's say you wanted to uh, deliberately practice making a human connection. That's one of the key takeaways from this book. One of the strategies from this book is make a human connection. You think, you know what, actually, I have a sales conversation um, next Thursday afternoon at 4 p.m. with a very important client. I'm going to deliberately practice making a human connection. So you go to your toolkit, um, go straight to the action log or get to it from the, the uh, summary, the interactive summary, and you'll write in what you'll actually do to make a human connection on Thursday at 4 p.m. You'll put in the time and the date. And then once you've completed that call, once you've completed that meeting with this very important client, come back and write in your feedback and summarize it for yourself. Well, did it go well? Did it not? And then you can come back and do it again. Uh, next Tuesday, 11 a.m., I have a meeting with somebody else, I'm going to make a human connection, or I'm going to um, make an emotional payment, I'm going to offer an apology, I'm going to offer empathy, I'm going to acknowledge that they're angry, whatever the thing is, make some sort of emotional payment, and you go and you deliberately practice that as well. And that's how you start to internalize the things from all of these episodes. So every single episode that we have has a toolkit to go along with it, and that toolkit is the real key to your business success, really your personal success as well, if I'm totally honest, that's the, the ultimate ultimate goal of Use Because is to offer everyone an opportunity to get to inner peace. Ooh, deep. So, it's true though. So what else did I talk about in this book? Well, at the very beginning of this book, I'm kind of jumping all over a little bit now, but at the very beginning of this book, he talks about how everything is a negotiation, getting your kids to tidy their room, um, closing a multi-billion dollar uh, business deal, um, getting a discount on a suite of furniture for your house, whatever the thing is, everything's a negotiation. And if you understand the rules of negotiation, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go a lot better for you. And to negotiate well, according to the author, you need to establish honest and trusting connection. And that's really, you know, if used because was to be summed up in, in one phrase, it would probably be something similar to that. Uh, understand people. That's... 
if you understand people and make it, if you can be personable and make a connection with people, anything is possible. It doesn't mean everything will always go your way, but it means that you have a better chance of it going your way if you're just genuine and honest and, and you're curious about what their frame of reference is or what the picture is in their head about the thing that you're trying to trying to understand um, or to, to buy or to sell, whatever the thing is, understand the picture in their head. They also talk about um, assume nothing, right? Put yourself in their shoes. And this is all to do with the frame of reference. And that's where a lot of disagreement comes from. Disagreement comes from me and you both reading a fact or seeing a picture or seeing a, seeing a film, a movie. And we just have a different interpretation of what it was about or whether it was enjoyable or not. And that's fine if it's a movie or, um, you know, a meal in a restaurant. But what if it's to do with nuclear disarmament, right? And there's a disagreement. What if it's to do with a billion dollar contract? The picture you have in your head is different than the picture they have in their head. Your job is to, is to understand their picture. That's it. We're all prone to confirmation bias as well. And we want the evidence that fits our worldview. Confirmation bias is one of the biggest issues in the world at the moment. And it's, it's uh, you know, the way all the, the, the algorithm overlords, they, if you start looking up uh, bunny rabbits on YouTube, what does, what does YouTube suggest to you? More bunny rabbits, right? That's all it'll show you. If you're, you know, even, even to do with politics, you look up one particular side of a political spectrum, that's all it'll show you. You're teaching it what, what you're interested in. And also what you're teaching it is that uh, what you're outraged by. A lot of the time people uh, click on things that they're outraged by more than what they are um, interested in. And that just that, that can teach people that the world is ablaze all the time. Um, so, and that, and that kind of, those algorithms are kind of built on confirmation bias you want, you're, you're kind of building your own echo chamber. Um, and usually what happens is we cannot see another point of view on how the world is. And it's, a, it's a something that you actively have to do both in life and in negotiations and in sales and in leadership and in everything in the world is to see other points of view. Uh, there's a thing I, I remember talking about before. I don't know if I ever talked about it on, on, a, on a podcast, but I hope this is my theory. It very, it might very well not be. Um, imagine you're in a in a, a conversation with somebody. This is the way I used to kind of understand it in my own head. Imagine you're in a negotiation with somebody. You're standing in a room. Um, simplify the room right down. Just a white room, white floor, ceiling, walls, all that. And you're standing across from a person, and you're negotiating. Let's say it was the thing we talked about earlier on. You want them to sign a twelve month contract. They're only willing to sign a six month contract. Now imagine that there's a circle on the floor and you're standing in that circle. Now imagine they're standing in a circle as well, and imagine there's a circle over to the side of both of you that nobody is standing in. I used to call this circle theory um, because of the circles. This is how I used to understand it in my own head. Circle theory works like that, is that you imagine you're standing in your circle, you understand your frame of reference, but because this is all imaginary and in your own head, Imagine how you and the person you're negotiating with swap circles. You walk to their circle, they walk to your circle. Now, if you're in their circle now, what's their point of view? What way are they seeing this, this conversation going? What are they seeing coming out of you? What's the emotional uh, direction that you're offering? What's the, the tone of voice? And so on. So, what, so if you're in their circle looking back at yourself almost, what do you see? 
And then you stand into the third circle, the empty circle. And think, if I was uh, an outsider with, who didn't have a dog in the fight, what would I see between A and B, between the two people, between the two people negotiating? Who's right, who's wrong? And really what that is, is metacognition. Metacognition just means being able to think about your own thoughts. That's all it is. Metacognition is to be able to, to almost analyze yourself from outside yourself, to almost step outside yourself and say, why did I say that? Why do I think that? Is that confirmation bias? Do I really know that to be true? And that's what confirmation bias is, is about kind of, and we're all prone to it because, again, the book we haven't covered yet in the podcast is called Thinking, Fa- Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, I believe. And he talks about uh, how we all make assumptions, otherwise you just get stuck in being unable to uh, to make a decision. Um, analysis paralysis, right, where you're just all the time analysing rather than actually making a decision. So we make assumptions and that's where confirmation bias comes from. But sometimes that confirmation bias doesn't serve us. Sometimes making those assumptions doesn't serve us. So if you use that idea of circle theory, three circles, you're in one, the other person is in the other, and there's a third one that's empty. And you move around the three circles to, think, to, to see things from another point of view. Circle theory, what a great name, because there's circles in it, you see. So um, there was one thing I thought of that I didn't mention earlier on when we were talking about uh, trading things of unequal value. There's something great here, in, and I assume they do this everywhere around the world, but I'm in, in Dublin, and there's a, a, a motorway called the M50. It's a ring road around Dublin. And there's a phone mast. And so there's trees, right, all, all along the, well, not all the way along, but a, a good section of it is there's, you know, big bushy trees. And stuck in the middle of one of those trees is a big phone mast that nobody has ever complained about. And the reason that nobody's ever complained about it is because it's disguised like a tree. They just put some really shitty looking green uh, uh, sticks on it, right? They look almost like a fake Christmas tree. But it's enough that it doesn't stick out, doesn't look like a phone mast. Well, something that was discovered uh, ages ago. Like, remember when people used to complain about phone masks going up here, there, and everywhere because um, they looked ugly and they looked terrible? And that's what a, I think that's kind of to do with unequal value, that everybody wants the good phone reception in their area, but nobody wants to deal with the, the horrible-looking phone mast. And it's also to do with the positions and interests. I want this, uh, you want that. Uh, how do we come to an agreement? So, so let's say there was a, a local council who said, we don't want a phone mast in our area because they look ugly. You think, right, well, we have to put the phone mast somewhere else. Well, that's actually not true because all they want is to not be able to see the phone mast. They actually do want the phone mast because it's going to give them better uh, reception on their mobile phones, but just don't want to look at it. The interest is, is how it looks, not that there's a phone mast. So once they disguised it to look like a tree, the problem went away. That's genius. And that's, that's to do with trading items of unequal value as well. Ultimately, though, you have to understand that the, that, the other, that the other side is driven by their emotions as much as you are. And you have to keep digging to find their real goals. So if you're dealing with a local councillor and they say, well, we don't want the phone master because it looks ugly. I'm like, well, how do we make it not look ugly then? How do we disguise it? How do we hide it? Right? Or let's say you're looking for a salary increase, uh, but your boss just won't budge. What do you do then? It looks like I want this, they want that. What do we do now? What you have to do is you have to think about what you really want. Maybe you want a salary increase because your mortgage rate has gone up. Um, 
maybe your company could help you uh, sort out a better mortgage uh, provider. Maybe they're willing to co-sign with a different lender, right? Not always, but possibly. So you say you want a salary increase, but what do you actually want the money for? Well, I want to be able to take my family on holiday um, every year. Well, maybe the company can help you through their uh, through how they book their travel. Right? If it's a big company, maybe they'd be willing to do something like that, where they can say, right, well, we'll book the flights for you. We'll be able to use our uh, company discount to get them. Could be talking out my arse here, but those are the kinds of things that your company might be able to help you with. So you say you want a salary increase, but what do you really want? Another thing to think about when it comes to emotions as well is that uh, this is something I learned a long time ago and it served me very, very well. Don't use you unless it's going to be followed by something positive. If you, Anytime you, you tell somebody something about themselves and it's negative, it's never going to go well for you. You you think this or you think that, right? You don't know what they think. And, in, and being told what you think is infuriating. And along with that, the, the, the siblings of that, if you like the sibling ideas, is don't use always or never. You always, or you never, right? Don't, bad idea, which are with the husband or wife, boyfriend or girlfriend, uh, in a negotiation, try to avoid using you and try to avoid using always or never, unless it's definitely true. You never empty the dishwasher. Well, I do empty it sometimes, right? Because uh, it usually isn't true, right? And all it does is going to kind of get the other get the other person very emotional. It doesn't build trust; it breaks it. So, in the book as well, he talks about different negotiation styles, and I'll just talk about those really quickly. I have a few of them uh, jotted down here. You kind of want to be a mix of all of these without being um, being led too much by any of them. The first one is assertive, or what he would call aggressive, right? If you're too aggressive, you're going to get less. A lot of the time, people think uh, a negotiation is about the more aggressive person wins, but that's really that's really the stupid way of doing it. That's taking positions. I want this, you want that. Let's butt heads till somebody gives up. Might work at a... At a at a farmer's market, right, if that's the way you want to approach it. But if you're looking to build relationships, if you're butting heads with like that with somebody who who reports to you, when the shit hits the fan, they are not going to want to help. They might pretend they're going to help, but they'll remember that that you put you painted them into a corner. Think about building relationships. So by doing by being too assertive, it's, it's, it could backfire against you in the long run. Um, collaborative people are good. They can be more creative, um, but they might be too trusting. If you're very creative about finding solutions, then there's a chance that uh, you offer up too much or you uh, you give away too much or you trust the other side too much and they're thinking the same way you are. Um, a lot of snakes out there in the world, so you need to be careful. If somebody is compromising, uh, they generally are, they like to avoid confrontation and they're probably just going to settle for something just to avoid the negotiation. They're going to end up with less than they're basically leaving, leaving money on the table. Uh, somebody who who is uh, who has that avoidance tendency is basically useless, according to the author. So don't avoid confrontation. Confrontation is okay. Uh, confrontation once it's controlled or once it's um, once it's within the rules of engagement, you're probably okay. Um, somebody who's accommodating can be a good listener, but they can sometimes be too nice. Um, I'm going to finish off on the the four quadrants that he talks about, and this is in the. 
uh, the interactive summary as well. The four quadrants are for putting all, putting it all together, the, the rules, the strategies, the ideas that he has in the book. And I should say as well, the book itself has, has a fantastic array of stories of real life situations of when he has, not he, he himself, but also his students he teaches in Harvard or somewhere, I think, um, how they've actually put these strategies in, into place in, in the real world and uh, got, got successful results. So the four quadrants are these. The first quadrant is to think about the problems and the goals, right? The short and the long. Uh, what's my ultimate goal that I want? And, I, and really the idea behind these four quadrants is to ensure that you are ticking all the boxes before you enter a negotiation. This kind of covers all your bases if you if you have answers for all of these. So number one is the problems and the goals. What problems are you, are, are you facing? What likely problems are they facing? What are your goals? What are their likely goals? Like again, say for example, it was like looking for um, a salary increase. Uh, your your boss's goal is to save as much money as possible, but there could be a way around that. Maybe they need somebody to, to, to jump into a project or to take on more responsibility, whatever the thing is. Uh, you, you need to understand what their goal is, their, what, their, what the picture in their head is. Who's involved, right? Who are the people you're going to be negotiating with? You're going to be able to find out who the, uh, who the decision maker is or decision makers and can you get them in the room. Prep time. And who has more info? This is all in quadrant one. How much prep time do you have? How much prep time do they have for the negotiation? And who has more information? And that's a, it's a really interesting to keep in mind as you're going into a negotiation. That the chances are they know more about this than I do. But um, as, as, even if they do, at least you know that. At least you know what the, what the, uh, what the context is as you're going into the, the, uh, the negotiation. Second quadrant then is situation analysis. The needs and the interests. Are they equal or are they conflicting or what, right? Who wants what and why do they want it? What's their actual interest? And this isn't necessarily something you're going to be able to, to figure out during your preparation, but it's something to focus on once you get into the negotiation. Um, what kind of questions can you ask to, to understand or to unlock their interests? What are their perceptions? How do they perceive... Uh, the negotiation, how do they perceive you, how do they perceive um, the, the use of their time in this negotiation, all of those things matter. Communication style, uh, what's your relationship with the person that you are, are going to be, to be negotiating with, how do they prefer to communicate, and you'll see it a lot with, uh, with, if you're doing a presentation for a CEO, they're not interested in the mechanics, the nuts and bolts of how you actually go about doing something, they want to know how will this make what we're doing cheaper? How will we be able to do it faster? How will this generate more profit? Like, of course, you should have, if, if you're doing slides, you should have slides with the nuts and bolts and how it'll all work. If they do have questions, you can show them. But generally, a CEO's communication style is going to be very, very, very high level. They haven't got time for the, the nuts and bolts for how things are going to actually work. And it could be the same in a negotiation. Who are you communicating with? Are they detail-orientated or are they global-orientated? Uh, number three then, options and, and risk reduction. Uh, what are the things that, that you can offer and that you would ask for? What are the incremental steps uh, to reach your goal? Do you have common enemies with the person you are negotiating with? Will that help you build a human connection? Is there something you could do there? And then framing. 
you have to make sure that you're able to create a vision for what you want. And this comes down to storytelling. This comes back to ensuring that they understand the picture in your head as much as you're trying to understand the picture in their head. Um, create a vision for them to understand what the working relationship is going to be like going forward. And the fourth quadrant then is actions. What are the best options? Uh, what are the things that you're willing to give away? You should have those in your head, jotted down somewhere even on a page. What are the things you'll give away? And what are the things that are deal breakers? What are the things that are, you know, it's just a red line. I just cannot do it for that price. Um, can't sign a three-month contract. It has to be eight months at the very least. You know, that kind of thing. What are the deal breakers at the point at which, you know, this is, uh, this is a bust for me. I just can't do it. If it's a negotiation, if it's going to be a long negotiation, who on your team is going to present uh, and how they're going to present it and who are they going to present it to? What's the process? What's the process for the negotiation? What's the agenda? What are the deadlines? When do decisions need to be made? And finally, the next steps. Any good meeting always ends with next steps. Who does what? And when are they going to do it? So negotiation is all about well, look, if I, was to su- if I was personally to sum up negotiation, I would say it's all about understanding people. But I would say that about sales, about persuasion, about um, uh, personal confidence, assertiveness, uh, all of that. I, I would say it's all about understanding people, starting with yourself. If you, can, if you can understand yourself, if you can get to that level of metacognition where you're understanding your own thoughts, you're a long way to understanding other people's thoughts as well and actually helping them to understand our thoughts as well so getting more by Stuart Diamond great book isn't it always every time I do an episode I say it's a great book I will I will only do great books so until next time tell two people you know about usebecause.com and thanks very much for listening hey before you go just a quick message about usebecause.com and what we're all about we believe that true learning happens when you understand remember and deliberately practice your newly acquired knowledge So with that in mind, you can get access to our purpose-built learning tools to help you do just that. To really embed the knowledge from this episode, take a look at the interactive summary that goes along with it, and then use the action log to set a time and a date to go out into the big bad world and deliberately practice the key takeaways from this episode. You do all that and you get yourself a certificate of completion. So try all our tools for all of our episodes, free for a month, you can cancel any time. For all of this, and all of the podcast episodes, head over to usebecause.com. Until next time.